it was the big catalyst for mm. me because I found that I had no assets. I mm. had nothing. But with liabilities, obviously, I had 16,000 worth of liabilities. And I hadn't even included, as you mentioned, things like student loans or anything like that. And I think seeing that number, especially seeing that it was a minus, I think that was one of the biggest things that was scary to me, but it was also helpful. Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host, my bro Jax. How are you today? Yes, yes, Peter. I'm very good. Um, I mean, I've got a bit of a sore throat today. I'm not sure if the guests can hear, um, but it's because the weather one day is hot, then it's cold, then it's cold, then it's hot. At the time of recording, the sun is actually blinding me <laughs> as we're recording, but it's still quite cold outside. Very, very strange. Anyway, I'm good. Um, I'm very excited for this episode. Um, I have someone who I actually met quite recently. Well, we've done so much work together. I feel like I've known her all my life. And so I'm very excited uh, to welcome her in. And of course, uh, our viewers are going to gain tons of value from her story and some of the ideas that she shares. No, absolutely, man. Equally excited. And don't worry about your voice, man. Every time people tell me about the podcast, they always talk about how your voice is quite soothing. So I'm sure even the code or whatever you've got is making it sound even better. So no, don't worry for that one, man. And But no, as you said, we have got a special guest on today. Um, and just on you also know, you know as well. Um, and without further ado, we are going to welcome our special guest. And today we have Veronia Spain. How are you today? Hello, I'm doing good, thank you. How are you both? Yes, yes, yes. All is well on our side. I'm always busy with work finance. So in addition to the podcast, we do a lot of work in the community. So we are just kind of getting ready for, um, I guess, the next part of the year in terms of delivery. You kind of have to plan months in advance um, in terms of delivering our work to young people in schools. Um, so, yeah, it's an exciting time for us, actually. Um, so definitely can't complain. But um, listen, uh, I guess for our listeners as well, it'd be good to just um, get straight into it in terms of just finding a bit more about you. Um, very briefly, we'll go deep. We'll take a bit more of a deeper dive into it. But um, Veroni, do you want to just kind of, well, I guess, introduce yourself? Yeah. So um, as mentioned, my name is Veronia and I am a money coach. I like to call myself a money coach by day and HR professional by night, although you would think it's the other way around. And essentially what I do is I really focus on helping women with their personal finances, getting them to spend much more intentionally, save much more money and really start with the investing process as well. And I've done this for the past couple of years, uh, mainly because of my own story. So I started off as someone who knew nothing about money, nothing about personal finances. And I fell into the world really after work I was just starting to look through different YouTube channels and started and I started reading books like Rich Dad Poor Dad and I was almost immersed into all of this money content that we're not necessarily taught in schools mm. and so from there I decided that I was going to start focusing more on my personal finances and money, money management and then realized that I actually had a load of debt so I had about 16,000 pounds worth of debt uh, because I had a car loan 
and an overdraft. And so one of my biggest things that I wanted to do was really pay that off and then starting to save much more money and then starting to invest. So that's where I am today. Love it, love it, love it. No, thank you very much for that, uh, Veronia. And some of our listeners may already know you um, from your YouTube channel, uh, Veronia Spain. So any of our listeners um, might recognize the voice already. So just a massive shout out and a massive thank you, Veronia, for coming on to uh, the podcast. Um, and yeah, we're definitely going to take a deep dive into everything you've you've just uh, touched on as well, because it'll be really interesting to hear your story as well. Um, and Veronia, for those that um, maybe, you know, you do have a YouTube audience just as a way to kind of um, get to know you a bit more maybe can you tell us one thing that your YouTube audience won't know about you so one thing they might not know is that I actually used to be a dancer Mm. some people may know from Instagram because I did talk about it probably once Uh, but I used to do a dancer I used to be a dancer so I was a hip-hop dancer I was also a dance coach at university as well Uh, I did dancing competitions and I ended up doing a dance for my wedding it was a surprise dance for my husband oh wow I I would I would do it so yeah that's probably one thing they don't know well, I, did, I didn't know, bro. I love that. I love that. And I was about to say, Jax was, was somewhat of a bit of a, a dancer. Maybe not professionally, but in more so different settings as well. You know, I've got a couple of moves here and there. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, I saw it. Your engagement. Oh wow, no, that's really that's really, really good. And love how you um yeah, you, as you say, you don't want at your um wedding as well. But no, that's amazing to hear. Um thank you very much for the, for that, Veronica. And remind me, uh you and Jax, you know each other because you actually go to the same church. Yes because we were obviously both talking about personal finance and then our pastor was well my our pastor was talking to me about wanting to talk about finances and mm. uh, do something with the church and he said that he would also invite someone else uh, to speak and I had an inkling that it was going to be Jax <laughs> and then I think we joined the meeting with our pastor and then it was Jax and I went oh this is a very small world and we didn't realize we went to the same church Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm quite new to the church, and interestingly, um, so I was told that you was going to be um obviously as part of the of the of the series. So um, I was already prepared to meet you in person because we had actually met in person mm. um, until that 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 moment. But yeah, you know, um, the whole financial coaching and money coach, personal finance industry is quite quite small here in the UK. Yeah. So we all kind of know each other to some extent. Wow, so Veronia, Spain, and Jack's uh, a poker in the in the same church in terms from a financial perspective. Your youngers and everyone around you learning must be so blessed, man. I love it. What a blessed church. <laughs> Jack's wonder how it's important. Obviously, we do a lot of work with young people, um, you know, at, you know, in schools, etc. But just in general, for for youngsters in in faith, this is obviously and and just connect making that connection there. How is important is it for you to be able to share your knowledge and stuff like that yeah I think I think it's extremely important you know I I grew up in a church um, a different church and I think you know whilst absolutely it's very important to understand scripture and learn scripture um, I think it's also important for churches to uh, you know help younger people or just people generally the generation uh, the congregation with general life skills 
Um, and I think as someone who um, has a skill or has knowledge and has a professional experience as well as life experience, um, why, why not bring that towards a community that can actually benefit from it? It's my way of serving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about obviously tithing, we talk about uh, offering, but why, why not also tithe and offer my time as well to God and God's people? Hmm. Love it, love it, love it. And Veronica, we're definitely going to take a bit of a deep dive um, with you in that area as well. But just going back, uh, I guess, um, to yourself, uh, Veronica, and, you know, in terms of your background, um, before we touch on the coach side, you do HR by night. Um, you do HR by night. You want to talk to us a bit more about, you know, how you got into HR and um, I guess how did the... I understand you got and you you know you found yourself in debt etc. But how did you know the whole idea of setting up something which we can agree is different to HR um come about? But yeah, first of all, why and how HR? Yeah, so in terms of HR, I actually didn't know what HR was about. Mm. Uh, it was only after university I was trying to figure out you know what career to do because I actually studied sports science in university, so totally different. And one of my friends said that you know, you're a real people person, why Mm. don't you go into HR, human resources? And I thought, okay, that might be something that might be fun. Um, And to go into HR, because I didn't have any experience around it, I thought one of the things I could do is going to recruitment first. Mm. And if anyone knows, you know, anything about recruitment, it's all about finding candidates for the right jobs. But with recruitment, it's very fast paced. I would actually say it's more of a sales role. So I went into recruitment. It was not for the faint hearted. I didn't particularly like it. But after that, I said, actually, no, I really want to go into HR. And so I did my master's in human resource management. And from that, I was then able to get a graduate job after I graduated from my master's uh, working in talent development, which was in within HR. And it was when I was working at that job, I actually ended up moving out of London because I was living at home um, before, you know, mm-hmm. after university, you move back home with your parents. But where my work was, uh, it was outside London. So I actually moved out of London. So I lived in a house of multiple occupancy. So with different professionals and I was working there. And it was when I was working there that I actually fell into personal finance. And I Mm. think it was because I didn't have any friends around that area because all of my friends were in London. So after work, I had nothing else to do. So I just decided, well, I'm just going to Google how do people build wealth? Because... Mm. I didn't, I realized that when I was at work, I had so many different senior leaders who were always at work and they Mm. were spending so much time at work, but they weren't able to spend time with their kids. Hmm. And I questioned and I thought, why is that the case? Like, is that going to be my life? Am I going to have to work for years and years and years and not be able to spend time with my family? And is that how people genuinely build wealth? And so I think from that curiosity is when I started you know googling how do people build wealth and then that's when the journey sort of started as well wow I love that I love that and you know here at World Fantasy we're just talking about you know how can you raise an awareness about this because the fact that you have to go on google and find out how do people build wealth the assumption is that there wasn't a lot of information already being thrown at you all whilst growing up just being taught about personal finance yeah yeah and it would it just felt like all I was taught was to go to school and go to university then Mm. get a job 
and then that's it like that's mm. how you live your life and that's essentially how you become wealthy mm. when in reality there's so many different components around it and it's not just about you know getting the job and then that's it there are so many different things you need to think about yeah yeah it, it, it's so interesting right you know yes we're told to to go to university get good grades and then you know get a good job and, and also things like save money right yeah. Um, which actually everyone on this episode has done, have done, right? Mm. Um, and then we get to our our, our mid twenties and we're thinking, uh, so <laughs> what next? <laughs> I mean, I haven't even saved anything because I was basically a spender and I spent mm. my paycheck, so I missed but... out that part. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 interesting, and I guess that's that's a question we can something we can speak about because um, someone like myself who is um or have, has grown up to be a a natural saver saving was very easy for me um and I don't say that because you know this, this doesn't mean that I was good with money because in mm. fact what it really meant was I was operating out of fear mm. uh, because of all the what I call financial trauma I had growing up when it comes to money so I, by being a natural saver it did work in my favor but of course as time went on I had to battle certain um other aspects of money when it comes to saving too much money for example things like the scarcity mindset etc mm. so, so would you say Verona, that you are you were like a natural spender um because what i find is people that struggle with debt initially were are natural spenders would oh, you say I, one of those yeah i was a hundred percent a spender i had never saved in, yeah. I, although t- okay tell a lie I had kind of saved for my first car that was probably the one time that I saved for a car and a laptop but mm. I didn't save anything else I didn't save money for the insurance I didn't save any money <laughs> to maintain the car to pay for road coverage or anything I just saved for the car and then that was it and so <laughs> even when my car broke uh, when I took my car for its MOT and they told me that I had to pay 700 pounds to fix it Gosh. I didn't have that money so I had mm. to use my overdraft to pay for it mm. because I had no savings Jeez. It's the small print and then the additional, everyone thinks of just the item, but it's all the additional things that come with it. It's the maintenance, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And what was uh, back then, Veronia, you being a natural spender, um, what was Veronia spending her money on back then? Honestly, most of the time I couldn't even tell you, but I would mm. say the biggest things from the overdraft was definitely holidays. Mm. So, after university, I decided to go on holiday with, you know, money that wasn't mine. I used my overdraft. I, <laughs> during that year, I think I went to Cancun, Croatia, and then I went to Barbados after that. Ooh. That was probably what I spent most of my money on. But Living the life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps at your wrong time. <laughs> yeah. But also... Um, clothes but these were clothes mm. that I just didn't really wear mm. it was so funny because I would just see clothes on sale you know like 50% off 20% off and then I would say oh I just need to buy it because it's on sale thinking mm. that I've got a bargain but then I would never wear half the clothes mm. yeah so there's a, there's I think a... those were probably my two biggest expenses yeah that's, that's, <laughs> that's a that's a big one isn't it um something I, I told my mom the other day I said mommy if you, if you see something and it says uh 30% off and you 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 buy the thing and you come home. Um, and this was, you know, when I used to live with her, and you come home and say, Oh, Jax, I bought this thing, it was on sale. I just saved myself 30%. <laughs> I said, you did not save nothing, you spent the rest, you spent money, you didn't save. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it does require a huge mindset shift, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Businesses are brilliant at marketing to us and they know 
we know that they know, but they'll still do, and we'll still purchase. But um, um, no, that 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 that's such a good point. But you know, actually, uh, Verona, you mentioned, you know, it sounds like you got to go to some amazing places, and the spending aside, I'm assuming you know all of those places you would have had a brilliant time and would have regret in terms of being there. But um, what 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 would you sort of say to yourself back then regarding those particular purchases, particularly maybe less on the clothes, but particularly around the experiences that are actually quite beneficial for your well being and life? Yeah. No, so I always say that it's not actually the experience that's the problem, mm. but it's the way that you pay for that experience mm. that may have an impact on your future. So, for example, in my case, I used money that I didn't have because I used an overdraft to pay for those holidays whereas if I'd have told myself that actually I just want to plan it out and I knew how to save and I was able to just save for those holidays I don't think I would have had a problem at all and I mm. I would have rather had done that because then I wouldn't have the burden of thinking oh I now have to try and pay off this overdraft mm. otherwise I'm going to rack up all of this interest and it's going to be even more difficult for me down the line mm. No, I love that. I love that. We're going to talk a bit more about, you know, some of the the depths that you did accumulate and how you went about um going that. But one of the things, uh, Jax, um, Veronica touched on a point in terms of, you know, she's seen people in the workplace, senior leaders that just work every day, but question, are they truly happy? And you, Jax, who works in the corporate world, you must see this. Number one, are they truly happy? And number two, are they re- have they really actually been, are they building wealth over time or are they just literally living every day, working yeah. and just moving on and just pretty much sleeping into retirement well absolutely and, and you'd be shocked especially in my industry right so i work in the investment management asset management industry so it is very much finance related but you'd be very 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 shocked how many people work in finance and actually don't understand personal finance yeah. or, or don't actually practice personal finance you'd be shocked i mean i've had to sit people down and actually go through you know their ISAs, their pensions and that kind of stuff you know, they're great at valuing a business using complicated models. But when it comes to analyzing their own life, <laughs> you know, they haven't actually done it. But a lot mm. of it is behavioral. Like we say, you know, personal finance or what finance we say is, is much more to do with behavior than it is with the actual technicalities. Um, and that's what I find. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's prevalent in many different industries, even in the finance industries where people you would think, understand finance don't actually practice it in their day-to-day lives yeah hmm. okay. that's deep man no that's really deep um yeah it can be a bit of a myth when you see someone in a particular role and assume um they know about personal finance it's all right um veronia uh, you know you you mentioned all of this and eventually you got into uh, money coaching and that's pers- particularly for young women um how did that actually happen like what was the kind of the catalyst that you needed to say you know what I'm gonna set up something that coaches young women and maybe tell us a bit more about it the actual business etc yeah so at first um when I start I originally started my YouTube channel and that was when I pretty much got to the point where I'd paid off my debt I was saving up for my emergency fund and I was starting to invest Uh, and I felt like from a spiritual faithful perspective that God was kind of telling me look I've blessed you in that you've now been able to pay off this debt and you now know how to manage your money well I want you to also bless others as well Mm. and so that's why I then started my YouTube channel when I started talking about content 
But what I found was that with especially women, although they would watch my content and they maybe watch, you know, other people's YouTube videos, in terms of the application for some people, it was quite difficult. So it was Mm. quite difficult to actually apply how personal finance would work for them specifically. And so I decided that I was going to start working with a few women and I actually originally started helping them for free just Mm. to see, you know, can I actually help them? Can I, you know, get them to change their behaviors? Can I get them to start saving more and to start investing more? And what I found was that when I worked with them, especially on a one-on-one basis, they were getting results very, very quickly. Mm. And I even had, you know, some women starting their uh, investment portfolios from scratch and they didn't even know what a stocks and shares ISA was. Mm. And I had, uh, you know, women saving so much more money so that they could have the ability to save up for their house deposit and then also start investing. And so because I had that proof of concept, I decided, okay, this is something that I will definitely start to offer uh, Mm. because I found that some people do need that individual help just for them to really apply it to themselves and really, you know, get results a bit quicker as well. Wow. No, I love that. I love that. And, you know, when you, when you talk about some of the experiences um, that you've seen um, for young women, essentially, um, and uh, for women in, in general, well, what well, were maybe, maybe two of the main things that you see as to why people might be coming to you? I think, one of them is probably from a role model perspective. And I think Mm. that's why I really wanted to start my YouTube channel because when I first started, you know, watching other people on YouTube talking about personal finance, it was very difficult for me to see someone like me. So it's very difficult Mm. to see, you know, a woman talking about personal finance, yet alone a woman of color Mm. in the UK specifically as well Mm. so I felt that it was really important to be a role model so that people like me so women and women of color like me could see that actually it was possible and for someone who was who is also maybe a natural spender to see me go from being a natural spender to saving and investing my money so consistently I think it helped them to see that actually, you know, I can do it too. I don't have to just keep spending my money and not be be able to save. I can spend my money, but also save at the same time. Mm. And I would say maybe the second thing is, I guess, again, the relatability of knowing that you don't have to be perfect with your finances. Mm. I think I'm quite transparent, especially on my YouTube channel in terms of, you know, how I've started and, you know, obviously how much debt I've had. And I also, I'm also still transparent with my finances. So I will share, you know, what my budget looks like, what my personal finance goals are like. And it's so that they can see that I'm still on this journey. You know, we're not always going to be hundred percent perfect when it comes to our personal finances you know, I don't think anyone is, but it's still a journey. And I think because they can see that I'm still on a journey, they also want to go on that journey with me too. I love that. I I love love that. that. And and, and, um, just just to add something, you know, at Walk Finance, um, our our main mission is to, you know, provide education and guidance towards young people, Mm -hmm. particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds. 
Um, and one of the reasons why I, I started it alongside Peter was because of the same thing that you've just said. I wanted mm. young people to see someone that they can relate to, someone that they feel comfortable speaking to, talk about personal finance um, freely. Okay. And, and you know, I always say, you know, I was once a, a, a 16, 15 year old as well. Mm. And if, if uh, you know, someone like Martin Lewis, who I absolutely respect, if, if he came to my school to t- tell me about personal finances, the chances are I wouldn't have listened. Uh, why because I can't, I can't relate to him um you know you don't understand the struggles that I'm going through you don't speak in my lingo you know who are you I might be a bit interested I might do some research after but chances are that I won't however what we've seen Peter I mean we've actually got some amazing feedback from some of our um, sessions and our workshops that we've done is that the young people really take to us mm-hmm. they take to us they they look at us like you guys are quite cool <laughs> right uh we understand small, small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, they say I'm cool. I don't know about Peter, but um, <laughs> so so they look at us and say, you know what, we we are willing to listen to you guys because you guys understand us, and I think that's a very very powerful um perspective and a very good thing that that we're all doing. Yeah, I agree. No, absolutely, and uh, no, definitely in agreement with that, Jax. And Veroni, on your last point, um, it, it was good that you raised that because one of the thoughts I had, you know, from the videos I've seen of yours on YouTube, which for Alyssa, I definitely recommend you listen to, you know, you are very um authentic and, and transparent when it comes to things like um savings, your budgets, um, and you do it literally to a T, um, like right down to the numbers. And it's very, yeah, important. Um, And I was going to ask a question around why do you feel that is important to you? But it was really good that you just went into that. So no, thank you for that. Um, both of you do um, obviously coaching one-to-one. I guess this question is actually to both of you, which I'm just going to throw out. Um, what do we think are some of the differences that we see between men and women on this personal finance journey? Um, so I'll, I'll go first. And and uh, because I do both men men and women. Um, and I remember when I started this quite quite some years ago, actually, um, I had this conversation with, with my friend. I didn't understand what was going on. It, it seemed to me that the majority of my clients was and still is women. Mm. Um, most of my clients, I'll say 80% of my clients are women. And even, and of course I do uh, money coaching, financial coaching and, and investment coaching as, 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 as a whole. And I'm actually very much well known for the investment side. So when it comes to general money coaching, financial coaching, whether it's debt management, budgeting, that kind of stuff, I get mainly women. When men come to me, most of the time is on the investment side. Mm. And, and, I, and I really found that quite interesting and quite difficult to understand. But I think I think it's because, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't know if men just don't like asking for help or whether they think things like budgeting is such a, or, or financial management is such a life skill that they should already know. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if there's a bit of pride or ego there. But it's something that I, I I did struggle with. I kind of understand a bit more now. But I would love to have more more male clients. Um, yeah. So Verona, I think I think maybe you can add some value here because I, I'm so not very um happy that I'm not having more male clients because I think we need it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I I think when women come to me, they initially come to me because they want to be able to save more. So they want to be able to save for their house deposit or an emergency fund. But sometimes they will also say, oh, and I would love to start investing. But Mm. can you teach me how to save more 
first. Mm. And I think it's because there is a lack of confidence when it comes to investing. It seems very overwhelming. And especially if you do look online or you look on you know, YouTube or anything like that, if you don't see people who look like you investing or talking about investing, you are less likely to think it would apply to you. And so I think that's where, you know, the role model really comes into it. I think if more women do start talking about investing, more women will likely think that, you know, they can start investing. But I think what I found is when I am coaching women, once they get clear on, you know, how to save, how to build a good financial system for themselves, once they get clear on that, they then start to open up and think, actually, I do want to become an investor. Mm. And when they then start to understand more about how investing works, they become a bit more confident because I think, especially as women, and I I can't speak for all women, but I would say that we are fairly risk averse. Mm. So we will only invest in things that we truly understand. Whereas if I look at my husband, for example, he would happily invest in anything and everything. I would love Mm. to risk, Uh, (laughs) but that's not me. That's just not how my mind works. So I think there are, you know, some differences, but I think the more women are exposed to it, the more they are likely to start doing things like investing. Um, If we look at the men's side, I think they may, again, Jax, I would agree. I think a lot of them just think that, it's kind of self-explanatory, like mm. they really know how to save. It's just not something that they don't need to think about. When in reality, I would say it is something that they also need to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you know what's really interesting is um, you mentioned the fact that, you know, um, women would come up to you and then you would talk about things like saving and then you go kind of kind of go through a journey mm. and then that leads on to investing and that kind of stuff. And and for me, in my experience as well, I'm coaching men as well, is a, a lot of the time some men come up to me and it's because they've tried it for themselves and they've made mm. some mistakes mm. that now need uh, fixing, uh, right? So it could be they're using the wrong accounts or or they've made some decisions that will cause HMRC to be sending some letters <laughs> to mm. them and that kind of stuff. So it, it, is, it is very, very interesting. Actually, um, I, I read somewhere that generally speaking, when it comes to investing, women yeah. actually are, are better investors than men. Yeah, um, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think it's quite obvious. I can tell why it's obvious. And it's not necessarily just to do with the risk-averse nature of, of the average woman, for example, but it's the fact that women don't mind keeping things simple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and actually, again, even if we look at the data, and we look, we look at historic data over the past century or so, um, how the stock market has performed. If you bought a well diversified portfolio of in- index funds um, and yeah. ETFs, the chances are you would have outperformed, um, you know, even the best mutual fund managers out there. Generally mm. speaking, so so it, it kind of makes sense where you you put up, you know, the 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 psychology with the actual practicalities. Yeah, um, and yeah, yeah. If, you know, we will invest in things that we understand. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, and things that we understand is more likely going to be simple. Yeah. So men, is, is it our ego, Peter? Is it our ego? You, you, you know what? I was as you was talking, I was also saying, and again, this is obviously subjective. I don't know all the billions of men out there in the world, but <laughs> yes. I think another thing is that we we tend to suffer in silence longer. We're less likely to talk about what we're suffering. So we kind of it's almost imprinted in us that 
Um, we just have to deal with it. And when I say that, it's almost like we measure that against our ability to be a man as well. Mm. So it's almost like, oh, we should have this way, but that is not the case. Like budget, we need to know the stages and you got to start from the, what you might define as the baby steps right up to the end. Um, we can't be missing steps, but as I said, a lot of us, we don't want to share when we're suffering. So we suffer in silence. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the ways we can work around that um, as, as as men as well, apart from just being more comfortable with, with you know, having certain conversations and asking for help is um one thing i've had to learn um i remember peter in in our friendship group we had this conversation once is we have to be sometimes careful of shaming each other Mm. Um, you know almost to say you you should know better etc i think the one thing a man doesn't want to hear is something that makes them feel um well in their opinion less of a man and to Mm. feel ashamed for some of the decisions that they've made that were incorrect No, it's deep, man. It's very deep. Um, but no, um, thanks for that both. And Veroni, this um this debt that you had, you said you had what was it sixteen thousand? Yeah. Um, I, I think you've alluded to a few reasons as to why that accumulated to that amount. But do you want to talk a bit more about what actually led up to having sixteen thousand? And at what age, remind me? Yes. So yep. my first debt was my overdraft. And I had an overdraft since university, I think from probably first year. Mm. That was when, you know, they offer you the free rail card with your student account. And then they old go, school. Oh, by the way, you also <laughs> have an overdraft. <laughs> that's, where, that's where it started. Um, free money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was free money. And then the other debt was my uh, loan for my car. So I'd financed Mm. my car back in 2018. And this was when I had got my first graduate job. Mm. And, you know, I mentioned that I'd actually had, I moved out of London to work there. I had an original car that I had at university, which I'd paid for in cash, Mm. but it was a very old car. It was you know, a banger. And when I saw people driving to work, because mm. basically had to drive to work, I was so embarrassed. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had this 10, 15 year old car. Mm. And, you know, everyone would just, everyone would be driving all these nice cars. And so mm. I thought, well, you know what? I'm a working girl now. I need to mm. upgrade. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I decided to upgrade. And yeah, got a car, but obviously I didn't have cash to pay for it because mm. you know, I didn't have any savings. So I had to uh, finance it instead. <laughs> I love that part where you said um, uh, <laughs> you were driving to work and you looked at people looking at you like, mm. nah. Because I had a very similar experience. Um, mom was I was 25 years old. Um, and at, at, that, at the time, I was actually earning pretty good money. Um, I was contracting. So you can imagine as a contractor per day, the, the, the payment was pretty good. Mm. Another time I was driving a Vauxhall Astra, all black, a pretty cute car for, for a 25-year-old. Um, but I remember at the time looking around at all my pairs and all my pairs, all my boys, all the lads were driving uh, German cars. So yeah. they had either a BMW or a Mercedes or an Audi. And I said, no, this is not right. This is not right. Why are all my friends driving big boy cars? And I'm in this this Astra. So I picked up 
about 14,000 pounds of my cash and I went and bought myself an Audi A5 all-white cash. Mm. Not the best decision I've ever made. Wow. <laughs> it, it, it gets like that though, Jax, but you know a big difference with what you did do, um, what a lot of people at that age um, would do is actually pay for that in cash, which is a lot to 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 put up, particularly at that age. But yeah, yeah. You, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that because um, you know, I've I've had stories of people that I know that said, you know, similar thing. We're on it. They've driven to work and actually they've gone into the office. Their car is outside the window, and a colleague has looked at them and looked, told them to looked at their car and said, "Yo, what's going on here, man?" Because <laughs> it's like they're in a, some they're in a decent position, and they're like, "Yo, is everything okay?" that sort of way and then obviously it kind of indirectly forced that person to well finance a quite a a, a luxury car essentially but Veroni looking at all of that how do you kind of well we obviously know about them but how do you kind of deal with that sort of indirect peer pressure and is it a good thing um that you have that peer pressure or yeah how do you kind of respond to all of that yeah honestly it's it's hard it's hard especially if you are someone who's you know not used to the workplace like if this is you know your first job or like your first full-time job where you're in an office environment and it's much more corporate and you're Mm. trying to you know impress people you may feel like that actually you have to have this particular image but I think one of the things that I wish I knew is I should have asked myself, well, what's more, what's more important to me? Mm. Do I really want to have the nice car now? Or do I want to focus on other goals that are going to help me, especially, you know, for the future? And I think had I known that I probably would have got, I think I maybe would have got the same car, but I, Mm. if I knew how to save, I would have just paid cash for the car. Okay. Especially with the car that I got, the interest was over 11%. Okay. I had no idea. It was 11.9%. You you didn't even care at the time. You just didn't want to turn up at work looking like it. Exactly. Exactly. And and you know what's really interesting is we we, we justify our decisions, right? So (laughs) so what what I didn't even say is, apart from just the peer pressure at the time with my car, um, at that specific time, I actually had started financial coaching. So I've been doing this for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember justifying to myself that, hey, how could you tell people how to manage their finances when you're turning up in a national? Mm-hmm. Right. But if you turn up in an all white Audi, they're going to listen to what you've got to say. Mm-hmm. Right. That was my way to justify to myself um, how much I wanted to spend. The truth, the difference between me and Veronia is not because I'm, I'm good with money, right? So that, that idea that, you know, I paid for it cash. Because remember, that payment has an opportunity cost. I could have done something much better with that money. Yeah. The only reason why I didn't go into any overdrafts is because I'm scared of debt, <laughs> right? That's the only reason why. If you are currently gaining tons of value from this episode, why don't you pause it right now? and give the Woke Finance team a five-star rating. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go one step further to leave a written review. It does wonders for getting the podcast in front of new listeners. Okay, back to today's episode. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Um, no, that's that's super interesting. So we've got um the student overdrive, we've got the car car um finance as well. What else contributed to that 
16k worth of debt. That was the only. Those were the only two debts. So the overdraft was two thousand, and yep. then the loan for the car was about fourteen thousand. Okay. Yep. 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 Um. Wow. Okay. So you and you're in your twenties at this point, and you're yes, I was about twenty three. Twenty three with sixteen k of this is for our listeners. This isn't you know. This is actual consumer debt. It's not no student loan where you know. That, that is dealt with in another way or mortgage, um, which people may um deem as good that this is 16k worth of bad debt. How does a 20 what where is going through your mind as a 23-year-old? Are you even realizing how much this is? Like what is even going through your mind when you realize how big this debt is? I mean, at first I had no idea because all I thought was, well, my overdraft is interest free for a while. So mm. I've got time to pay that off. And with the car loan, oh, I'm only paying £282 a month and I can mm. afford that, quote unquote. Mm. So, so in my mind, I thought I was fine. Mm-hmm. So so what I want to know, Verona, is at what point did you say, ah, 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 I can't do this <laughs> no more. That, ah, ah, I can't do bit. this no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was when I started learning about personal finance and Mm. I got the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And obviously in that book, it talks about assets and liabilities, you know, assets that you probably own. So if you've got like any cash investments or anything like anything like that versus liabilities, which are things that you probably owe, for example, if you owe um, something to a creditor like a uh, you know car loan or overdraft in my case and I decided to do my first ever net worth statement which is your assets minus your liabilities and when I did my net worth statement I think that is probably the big catalyst it was the big catalyst for mm. me because I found that I had no assets I mm. had nothing but with liabilities, obviously, I had 16,000 worth of liabilities and I hadn't even included, as you mentioned, things like student loans or anything like that. And I think seeing that number, especially seeing that it was a minus, I think that was one of the biggest things that was scary to me. But it was also helpful because I realized that it was the kick in the backside that I needed to start working on paying that off. Mm, and then also increasing my assets yeah yeah i love that i encourage all our listeners to do this net worth statement thing Hmm. Um, and if you don't know how to do it um, head over to verona's youtube page she actually goes through it on her youtube it is such an eye-opening moment Hmm. um don't let it scare you when you chances are you may find that you are you know in negative or you have a negative net worth don't let it scare you but let it wake you up so that you can actually start doing something about it so that you can um, break even and then move towards a positive net worth. Yeah. Wow. So the majority of this is from actually um, um one of our re- most recent episodes is actually titled, um gosh, what was it? Car finance um is at record highs, even during the cost of living crisis. This is here in the UK. Um, and... Uh, Again, um, because there's nothing wrong. I mean, every each of their own. There's nothing wrong with doing what you need to do, whether it's finance, etc. But there's obviously a way to go about it. What What are your views? You know, if again, if you're speaking uh, to Veronia back then, um, you know, spending two hundred and eighty uh two two pounds, if, if I remember correctly, a month on a car. Can't remember what your salary was at the time, but what are your views around that, uh, Veronia? Yeah. So at the time, my salary was just over twenty seven k. Hmm. so for me 
the maths didn't really add up. Mm. And I think it's also about intention as well, because it's very different compared to someone who genuinely has no money, but they need to drive to work and Mm. they may decide, okay, I'm just going to get a runaround that helps me to get to work. And if they have to finance it, then fair enough. Mm. Whereas my intention was image, which Mm. is very different because I didn't necessarily need that car at the time and I didn't need to finance it at an 11% interest. So for me, I think it's all about thinking, you know, again, what's more important to you? And although it seemed like 282 pounds wasn't that much, but if I look at my salary and what else I could have done with that money, Mm. it then starts to, you know, Think it, I don't know. It it feels a bit different for me. Yeah. I think it's yeah. Is that is that concept of opportunity cost coming up again, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, when you realize that hey, actually, uh, as a standalone, two hundred and eighty-two pounds is is not the worst thing in the world. And actually, twenty-seven thousand pounds per year is is a pretty decent salary for someone in their twenties, right? Mm. So you can again, you can justify to yourself that actually, you know, it's it's uh it's not the worst thing in the world. But that's a great and amazing thing about education. When you become more educated and you expand your horizons and you become more aware, you start to realize uh, certain things. You start to realize, actually, this money that I'm, I'm spending on, on this car with the wrong intention um, has a huge opportunity cost and I need to do something about it. Yeah. Hmm. Now, Verona, you was on about £27,000 um, a year at the time and you managed to pay off this debt in just under two years? About 18 months. 18 months. Wow. Um, what I'm definitely thinking, hopefully all of our listeners are thinking, is how on earth did you manage to do that in 18 months? And was you living out of home at the time? Yes. I you was, was out of London? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So I was living out of home, uh, but I was living in a house of multiple occupancy. So because I was sharing with other professionals, it meant that my rent was much lower compared mm-hmm. to you know, if I was just living on my own and I got myself a one bed flat. Mm. So I was actually only paying about £500 a month Mm. for my rent and all my utility bills and cancelled tax. So I would say that that was probably one of the biggest things that helped me Mm. because it meant that even though your housing may be one of the most biggest expenses, you know, of your budget, it wasn't too high for me. So it meant that I could have more money to start attacking that debt. But I would say one of the biggest things that helped me was actually learning how to save. 